Welcome to Podcast Therapist, presented by Virginia Family Therapy. I'm Sarah. I'm Caroline. And I'm Amanda. As three family therapists, we know how hard it is to feel like you're being the parent you want to be while juggling everyone's needs. We specialize in helping families just like you during the long days of multitasking and constant searching for the bar of success. Our podcast mixes expertise, real life advice, and embarrassing stories. Whose embarrassing story? Let's walk through this together. Welcome to Podcast Therapists. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Amanda. Hi. Hi. This is going to be particularly fun today because we are going to basically be talking about my entire world. (laughs) Mine too, apparently. (laughs) Not mine, but a world that I'm in a lot with other people. We're going to be talking about ADHD in women and girls specifically today. I am super excited about talking about this for two reasons. Number one is I was recently diagnosed with ADHD as a 40-year-old woman, you all, and now a lot of parts of my life make sense. But also as a psychologist who specializes in girls, I actually see a lot of symptoms of ADHD in girls that I think have been missed in a lot of different areas. And so it feels exciting to be able to help people when I actually recognize it. Mm -hmm. I was also diagnosed in my early forties. Oh, I didn't know it was that recently, Sarah. I didn't know that either. Well, I knew it my whole life. I just never slowed down. How does this sound as an ADD person uh, or ADHD person? I never slowed down to take time out and a woman and a mom to get tested myself. I mean, that sounds like every woman and mom. Right. And I feel like a lot of the teens that I work with, the girls that I work with who have ADHD, they're like relieved when you start talking about like why this might be happening because they're panicked that like, they're like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Like, I don't understand why this is happening. And I feel like when we start talking about ADHD, it like helps people put these puzzle pieces together of things that maybe didn't feel totally related, but they all fall under this umbrella. And it like gives people just like a sense of relief to understand like, okay, this is what's going on. Well, and it presents differently in boys and girls and it always has and men and women as well. And I think, you know, when I historically have always known that ADHD will if it is not treated long-term can really play a part in a young person forming confidence. And I think it even that that also looks different in, in young men or boys and girls in that the boys, a lot of times when I would see the lack of confidence, they would deal with that a little bit differently, but girls, what I hear a lot of times is I'm not doing something right, or I'm not enough. And then that message carries through all the way through adulthood. And it, it really starts pretty early. And sometimes it is really actually to do with just managing to get homework done on time. I mean, it's, it's not, it doesn't start with a big thing necessarily, but the message continues. Well, and I think it's that question of like, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think this is why we're more likely to see girls also struggle with anxiety or depression. Like this is what the research shows us if they're diagnosed with ADHD. So let's talk about the stats, right? So we just looked up a few statistics and we found out that 4.2% of girls and women are diagnosed with ADHD kind of across the lifespan. So that means out of a hundred people, four folks are going to be diagnosed. To me, that seems low, but I don't know. But I think that's the problem, right? This is diagnosed and we're talking about women going underdiagnosed. So 
probably higher. We did just find a study that said that boys are two to three more times likely to get diagnosed with ADHD than girls are, right? So in childhood, right? In childhood, absolutely. And I, and I think the main reason for that is that boys tend to do what's called an externalizing behavior, which is they they or you might think about it as the H of ADHD, which is the hyperactivity. You know, ADHD stands for attention deficit with hyperactivity disorder. So boys tend to have more H. They're louder. They get in trouble. They might be impulsive. They might punch. They can't sit still. So they're up out of their chair in a classroom. And teachers notice that and they get in trouble because it's disruptive to everyone. Whereas girls tend to have a a little bit less of the H and they, the old way of talking about it is ADD, but now we just call it all ADHD inattentive type, but girls essentially will internalize, get distracted, not do their work. And then they don't get in trouble. And that's why there's such a discrepancy. So they look more daydreamy sometimes. Absolutely. Right. Like the inattention just looks like my mind's wandering or I'm like not looking at the teacher, but it doesn't disrupt a class in the same way. Or they're chatty and, and girls are expected to be chatty. We've kind of have this social concept about girls being chatty so that when they are chatty, it's like, oh, they're just chatty. It's just a normal thing. Sarah, what did, how did you get diagnosed and what did it look like for you growing up? Because I think giving people a picture of it is going to be useful for folks. So I, as a kid, grew up moving a lot. And so I changed schools probably every two to three years growing up. So I think that was probably one issue as to why I didn't really get flagged. I think I had younger brothers who were both diagnosed when we were young. I also had a little anxiety or enough anxiety and wanted to do and wanted to perform well. So I think I was a kid who always got my homework done and was pretty disciplined about those things where my brothers, if one of the telltale for probably, I think at least one of them was if he didn't feel like doing his homework, like, or he just, he just didn't do it. Um, and so he started to get in trouble and his grades started to reflect something. And my grades never reflected anything. I just worked really hard. I always, um, I mean, I worked really hard and struggled because I wasn't, I didn't always feel like I achieved academically what I had hoped to, I think. And I'm sure some of that was because I was distracted in class or not paying attention or, and then as I got older, what I noticed too, I was an athlete. And if I wasn't playing a sport or doing something organized, I was less disciplined and structured. So I needed structure around me to succeed. I wasn't necessarily internally structured, if that makes sense. And then really, I kind of knew I had it. My brothers were diagnosed and medicated for it. I just, just you know, kind of let it go. And then in college, I definitely noticed it in just a lack of focus and discipline or, you know, being able to initiate things sometimes. I would talk about a paper. I might even plan the paper, but starting the paper was hard sometimes. Or, you know, I was happy to walk around the library and talk to people. (laughs) And then I think once I got older, I just figured, well, you know, I'm already an adult. It's no big Mm -hmm. deal. And it wasn't until I think I was a parent, I was working full time, I was juggling like so many things. And I just started noticing that, you know, I just need, I, I thought maybe this was like some of the things that maybe I would forget to do or some of the things I couldn't stay on top of could in fact have something to do with attention deficit. But I actually went and got tested because I also wanted to make sure that I could separate out what was anxiety and what was attention deficit. Like I didn't want to treat ADHD if I were just really anxious when I didn't want to just treat anxiety. Now you're speaking my language. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. So I think for me, when I did the testing, it was clear. I mean, I actually 
tested with somebody I knew and, and he joked with me that maybe I shouldn't even drive home because I couldn't focus. So <laughs> it was significant enough. But yeah, I could just be in my own head sometimes. Like that's what I started to notice once I had, you know, once my family grew, then it added a new layer of, of focus and responsibility. And I started realizing there were other things that I just couldn't keep all the balls up in the air in the same way that I could before. So that was kind of me. How about you, Amanda? What was yours like? So I got diagnosed when, when I was 40. And I think that overall, I heard a statistic that 40% of entrepreneurs have ADHD. And that kind of made me start thinking about how I've lived my life and everything that's happened in my life leading up to here. And I think that many people think that ADHD is not a great thing to have, but it actually, for me, has been a great gift because I think that I have always been able to hold a ton of stuff in my head and make connections between them in many different ways that I think is different than maybe some other brains. So it has allowed me to make a lot of connections. And I think that that's a strength of mine. It's also kind of pushed me to take some risks and be a little more risky. And I think that can be a strength. My husband might disagree, Um, (laughs) but it can be a strength of mine. So for me, anybody who knows me and has watched me academically is like, oh, of course you have ADHD. Like this is a no brainer. When I was younger, I got in tons of trouble for talking in school. I like never did my homework, you all, but I'm also a pleaser. So I would sit in class and just do my homework underneath the desk. I would write full essays underneath the desk, turn them into the teacher and say, my printer broke. But my printer was like never working. It never worked because I would just handwrite all of my essays. But you found a way to compensate, right? And I think this is really typical for girls with ADHD is like you can compensate until you get to a certain mm-hmm. point in education a lot of the time or in life. And then it gets too hard. Absolutely. But you come up with skills like I can write an essay under the desk. So I think too, when, one of the things you're describing, Amanda, too, is I think by nature, a lot of people with attention deficit, and you must have been like this as a kid, are procrastinators because when of you procrastinate, course. you get the adrenaline rush at the end. So as you're writing your essay, your cortisol rates, I mean, everything's increasing in your body, which is actually a stimulant. So you actually were creating your own stimulant in your own body chemistry as you're writing your essay under your desk. Oh my God. It actually made it easier for me to focus because I was tasked with focusing on two things. It's almost easier for me to focus on two things than it is for me to focus on one thing. And I actually think that this makes me a, a really good therapist in some ways because I think my strength is when I'm in something, I'm pretty much in it. Like I'm great in the room, Mm -hmm. close the door 45 minutes. I am a hundred percent with you. It's any sort of like executive, like long-term planning. I'm terrible at you. heard me talk last week about like not wanting to chop vegetables. Those guys, the littlest things are so stressful to me ordering anything on Amazon, like answering email texts. They give me full on panic attacks not really full on panic attacks, but even just talking about it, like my heartbeat is racing faster. So I think it's almost like the big things feel easier and the little things feel so hard for me. I I agree. Like I'm like that too. Definitely. My, my partner always says to me, um, like, I'll say something about like, we'll talk about decorating a room and she'll say, you know, all I said was, can you straighten that picture out? And when she says that, I'm like, let's paint all the walls. Like, I think we need to pick the colors. <laughs> and she's like, 
All I asked was to straighten the picture out. Like, I don't think we need to paint all the walls. And I just, that my brain goes there rather than going to the like finite small thing. I mean, I I've trained it to do that now. I mean, I can certainly do it, but that's not natural for me. And then when we were talking about this warming up for the episode, I was saying in my house, like on a Saturday morning, for example, when I'm home, not working, I'm just doing chores or something. I will start laughing at myself because I'll walk in the kitchen and the dishwasher's open and half cleared the dryer might be open and half stuff is out and folded. And I realized like, I've done that. Like that's not, no one else in the house has been in there. Like I've just done that to myself. <laughs> right. And I walk and start laughing. I'm like, wow, this is, I clearly forgot to take my medicine spring. Like that would be helpful. Well, I also think one thing that's useful for those folks listening is I think I was able to really manage a lot of my ADHD symptoms on my own with behavioral interventions, which is actually really useful to think about is I was swimming an hour and a half every day when I was in high school. So I was literally so tired that I couldn't be impulsive. I was just exhausted all the time. And even up until the pandemic, really, I was exercising really intensely, right? Always getting an hour and a half. And I think that I would have been managing my symptoms of ADHD by over-exercising. So I think many women who are really into like ultra marathoning or just really working out are doing it to manage their symptoms of ADHD and anxiety. And I think this is what can make the transition from high school to college incredibly difficult for girls with ADHD because high school is so structured and like you only have so much time and you have extracurriculars and then you get to college. And if you were a student athlete in high school, but you're not in college, like a, that is a hard coping skill for some people to maintain. If it's just like self-directed and you're not on a team or in a play or something like that anymore. But I think you also suddenly have like all this free time and you like, don't know how to like, it's really hard to structure it in the way that feels productive, particularly if you're someone who's like losing your sense of time. Right. So I think I see a lot of my college students say, like, I had all these things on my to do list today and I like started the first one. And then like two hours later, I like had not done anything else on the list. College was hard for me academically. Graduate school was significantly easier because it was about people and 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 I could use my people skills. But college was very, very academically hard for me. Anytime you have a class, I think we see this across the board with you know, young people, both boys and girls and men and women, like if something grabs attention and keeps it, it's way easier to perform. So I agree for me, undergrad, even though I was playing three seasons, of, uh, I was an athlete for all three seasons as a college student, which I'm so glad if I hadn't been, I would have been in trouble. You know, I think that was more of a struggle than graduate school, because for me, graduate school, I was so passionate about my topic and mm-hmm. what I was studying. I loved it. So I was so in it. Um, but it had, it had my attention basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, we've talked a lot about the symptoms that we have demonstrated, right? Like doing multiple things or being really chatty. What are other symptoms that we typically see in girls when they come into our office and no one has diagnosed them with ADHD before? And we kind of are like, huh, maybe it's ADHD. What's a telltale clue for you all? Self-doubt. Really? Mm-hmm. I'll lean into the ADHD because start kind of watching for that when I hear somebody talking about things that, you know, 
it's little things, not huge things, but little things that they feel like they're just frustrated frustrating themselves by like, like a to-do list they're not getting to, or, you know, getting homework in on time or getting something started, little things like that. I think when there's like a lot of social fallout, right. I think sometimes girls struggling with friendships, I will start to be like examining that and seeing if it's coming from ADHD. Because why? What about ADHD is creating social fallout? I mean, I think it depends on a girl. Like, I think I sometimes see, <laughs> Sarah, what are you laughing at? <laughs> just laughing at our conversation. It's just cracking me up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of myself, like, Caroline is not at all attention deficit or ADHD. I mean, and I can tell when we're all working together. Poor Caroline. I know. <laughs> well, so I will say I do sometimes have a hard time focusing. Like I can have difficulties with attention and frustration and organization, but mine is much more anxiety driven. Right. So I think this is where figuring out is it anxiety or is it ADHD can be tough because some of the symptoms overlap. Right. But for me, it's like I know. Like if I'm not doing something, it's typically like avoidance because it's making me anxious. Can we do something? Cause we're ADHDing all over the place right here. Can we talk about the link between anxiety and ADHD later? Once yeah. we answer the first question around what are our <laughs> telltale signs? Guys, see, look at this level of organization I have implemented. It was good. <laughs> and the person who's taking us <laughs> out of the organization is me. <laughs> Maybe you were anxious about it. I don't know. Set you up for it. Yeah. But what kind of social fallout? And actually, let me say this one thing too, as I'm ADHDing around the signs and symptoms that we're talking about with girls, it's really tricky. So if you, it has to be a whole bunch of these symptoms and it has to be diagnosed by a doctor. And so we're talking about when do we lean in, right? This isn't when do we actually make the diagnosis, but when does it pop into our head? Huh? this might be ADHD and not something else. So what is your, so your sign Caroline is saying that you kind of lean in and get curious about ADHD when there's social fallout. What does that look like? Everyone is different, but I think that sometimes what I see is like this conflict with friends of like, I think sometimes it's hard to pay attention and read your friends. So my clients are like missing social cues, right? So they might, interrupt a lot or their friends feel like they're not listening or they're talking over their friends or they're committing to plans with like multiple groups of people or multiple friends and they're all at the same time. So then they're like, oh, can I make it all work? Oh, no, I can't. So then someone's frustrated with me because I said I would do something and now I'm not. Or I said I would be there at seven and I got really distracted and now I'm showing up at 8.30 having not looked at my phone and I'm unaware that I'm really late and then my friends are angry with me and I don't understand why. That's a really useful description because everything you just said, I'm like, oh, I certainly have some folks that are probably in that boat that I need to pay attention to. I think that was useful. Thank you. And again, it can't be just that. Right. But I think that's something that I try to listen to or listen for and like bookmark in my brain, particularly if I'm starting to like have a cluster of symptoms from a client. 
And I tend to kind of notice people interpersonally, right? When they're in the room and if I am talking to them and they're like with me and then they get distracted visually by something that's happening Mm -hmm. out the window, that's kind of always a sign. Or if someone says, wait, what did you just say? Or if someone for me, I guess, because it's like me when someone feels overwhelmed by little tasks and they're like, I'm just so overwhelmed by this. And I'm like, oh yeah, I get that. That to me is a sign because those little tasks are really just about focusing for three minutes. And if that feels really, really hard, then that's, that's a symptom of ADHD. I hear it a lot around, like, I can't clean up my room with like some younger clients, right? Like if parents are like, Hey, clean your room, like the organization in your head that it would take to make that like a step-by-step process. Mm -hmm. I'm always like, Hmm. Mm -hmm. I think you can have good organization skills and be attention deficit with hyperactivity disorder as well. Like I think both of those can be, but more often than not, they're, they're not both present. And sometimes I think you find with ADHD girls, they may have to wait till Saturday or Sunday to clean their room up so they can have the whole day to do it versus being able to just Mm -hmm. pick it up in the evening when that seems so easy for, as a parent, you're like, just clean your room. Like it would take five seconds. And they're like, no, because it actually does take way more thought for them and organization and they'll get distracted during the whole process. So it'll take four hours. But I think also like you were saying, Amanda, too, to have your brain kind of occupied. I know that one of the tells for me when I was watching to see if my daughter would have it, because I knew there was definitely a very strong family piece to this is always, always, always had to have music on while doing work. Now there's some subjects she'll turn it off or she'll have, no, this is what she said to me that night. I can have lyrics on in certain subjects, but I have to have lyrics off when I'm doing other subjects. So that she just has, she's also, you know, almost finished with high school. So she's finally figured out kind of that balance, but I bothered me as a parent when she was little, I'd be like, you need to have the music off. And she'd be like, no, no, no. Like if it's off, it takes me way longer to get my work done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we should also talk a lot of people when I talk to them about their kid potentially having ADHD, the first thing that parents will say back, it, actually, the first thing I say is, hey, have you ever thought about ADHD? Because some parents might have already had it in their heads. Some parents might not have ever thought about it. And I want to know kind of where they are on that trajectory. Um, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, teacher said something about it three years ago, but we never followed up or something like that. And it's there's a lot of good, useful information in that. But one thing parents typically say is, well, they can't have ADHD because if they're reading, you know, you can't distract them. Or yeah. if they're working mm-hmm. on their Legos, like they are going to work for four hours. And then I always have to say, well, actually, yeah. the symptom of ADHD is hyperfocus. That's right. Hyperfocus is when you get so engaged in one task that it's like impossible to go to another task. And so if you happen to have a kid who hyperfocuses, it is actually increased attention on one specific task and and it's hard to do something else. But those kids oftentimes will have a hard time with transition. Absolutely. Yes. it's, It's actually not the task that we start looking at with those kids when we're watching for those kids. We notice a lot of times a transition. I think again, like you're saying too, it's a it's a process to evaluate this. It isn't like someone walks in the door and is like, I, you know, I feel terrible. 
like depression is slightly easier to, to diagnose. I think sometimes mm-hmm. with just self-reporting attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder is not as easy by just self-report. There's a lot more that has to be kind of looked at. Trauma oftentimes gets misdiagnosed as ADHD. And I think it's because for a lot of kids, for example, you know, they're, they have a lot of physical energy from the anxiety and from other things with trauma. And when it is quiet in a classroom, that's very difficult for kids who have a trauma history. And so they're often up and moving around and distracting. And if a teacher sees that, or sometimes parents will see that and just think, oh, my kid has ADHD when in fact it isn't that. So that's again, why we take such kind of careful steps with actually evaluating this, because I think a lot of people think it's over diagnosed or over medicated. And, And truthfully, if you work in our field, you realize it's not. But I think it's, again, because we do take careful steps to evaluate this, as do pediatricians. Mm -hmm. And I think we put this out there kind of subtly, but I medication can be really helpful. But there are also like behavioral skills, right? Like there are things that you can do with a therapist to help with ADHD as well. It's not just like, is it medication or no medication? And like, those are the two options. You know, there are definitely things that like, coping skill wise and strategy wise, you can do to help manage ADHD. I do all of my quiet work at five in the morning, y'all. That's when, cause my coffee has kicked in because I don't take medication currently. My coffee is kicked in. There's no one up. That's when I do my emailing, but I cannot do any emailing past like seven 30 guys. You know, this, <laughs> you know this I wake them. up to morning emails from Amanda. Yeah. And then when I respond, I typically know like, Actually, if I need to talk to Amanda about this sooner, I should call her because mm-hmm. otherwise I'll get it tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. 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 And so, and, but that's a comedy, an accommodation that I've made because I know how my brain works now as a 41 year old. And I don't take medication every day because I don't need it every day. It depends on what my day is like and what the, what the day looks like and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But um, but I've learned those things and, and I, and you and I both were diagnosed late, obviously. So we didn't grow up taking medication. So clearly you're right. Lots of parents do worry about that. And it is, it is certainly an option. And for some kids, it's really important to take medication because they really will miss a lot if they don't. But for a lot of kids, it's a lot, there are some other behavioral techniques we all use and some other things we can put in place as your kid kind of grows and matures to help you know, not have to necessarily Mm -hmm. take medication or take it with these, you know, kind of, like I said, my daughter also takes medication, but she takes it. She doesn't take it every day. So let's also talk about, because we said we would, the relationship between anxiety and ADHD, because that is something that any diagnostician, whether it's like a psychologist or a a social worker or a pediatrician, they are going to look very closely at what is causing the distraction? Is it anxiety or is it ADHD? So how do you guys think about that? I mean, I think like anxiety presents a little bit differently. Like if I hear a client saying like, you know, well, I can't talk, I can't answer, I can't focus in class because I start worrying about what if I get the question wrong and then everyone, then I'm embarrassed and everyone thinks I'm stupid or like, I get so nervous for the test that I'm like so nervous about doing well on the test that I can't focus on the questions on the test. Right. Like that to me, I'm like, okay, you're feeling really anxious, right? Mm -hmm. Like the thing that's causing the inability to concentrate or focus is like, what if, what if, what if, or like, I'm scared I'll mess up. 
And I'm not speaking from personal experience here (laughs) at all. (laughs) But I think it sometimes has a little bit of a different vibe when people are talking about it. But it can, the other thing is that like we see them together. So sometimes it can also be like, is it both? So I always think of it as kind of a Venn diagram, which is a lot of the signs and symptoms specifically in girls are almost the exact same, right? So you're getting distracted. Say you're taking a test. You're getting distracted on the test by your worry, or you're getting distracted on the test by your inattention, and then you're getting worried about it. So Mm -hmm. for girls, especially these kind of high achieving girls, it's hard to figure out what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Are they worried about their performance because they're inattentive and they know they have to put a ton of energy and time and worry into doing well because it's that much harder for them? Or are they getting distracted because they worry so much? But they really, ADHD and anxiety are very, very, the term is comorbid for like, it means they happen together a lot. And it's hard to figure out which comes first. In, in many, many people. Yeah. I think oftentimes what I've observed with some of my clients is that when they start medication for attention deficit, their anxiety level goes down. Mm-hmm. And that's because what has created anxiety for them is in fact, the ADHD, like the distraction and the worry that, you know, and, and the thought about just their brain is flooded by lots of ideas all the time, which then it creates some anxiety for them. So the medication helps with that. And then their anxiety levels go down, but that's not true of everyone obviously. And you can have both clearly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And sometimes when people take the ADHD medication, then they become more worried because then they can start focusing on their worries. And so it really can be this kind of tandem. They, They kind of live in your head and dance together. And it's about figuring out what's the most useful to help folks. And we're going to have a psychiatrist and a physician come on to talk about this. So let's talk about diagnostically. Like if you're curious, if you hear this and you're kind of like, huh, maybe my daughter does have ADHD. What should a parent do? I think you can always, you can start with like your school and the pediatrician. Talk to teachers and talk to your pediatrician, especially if you have sort of a longstanding pediatrician, because they may have some insight. Um, with girls and teachers, it might be harder, but you could ask them like, you know, does she seem like she's like daydreaming in class or zoning out a lot? Or like, hey, this is something that's on my mind. And maybe if you ask the teacher to tune into it, you know, can we follow up in two weeks? Right? Like they may not have picked up on it yet. But if you ask, they might be like, oh, I do notice that she's like always looking out the window. Well, and also I think, again, Historically, I think when we would look at ADHD, especially in kids, we were looking at grades, right? So if grades tanked or things like that, you just don't see it as much in girls. And so, I mean, you can, and you do sometimes, but oftentimes you won't. And so sometimes it's been my experience too, the teachers don't always see it the way that, um, because it doesn't always manifest quite, because if you have a, a fairly you know, bright kid too, that kid, even if the kid is not taking in as much as other kids are, they're taking in enough. And so it actually, you know, for a lot of kids that are pretty bright, we don't see the grades really be impacted till like eighth, ninth, 10th grade, Mm -hmm. because now information is, there's just so much information. They just can't hold it in their heads as long or as much, but I think you're right. Like it does usually the rollout first, the slow roll is 
a survey is given to the parent to give to teachers for observations, it comes back to the parent and the, then it goes back to the pediatrician who scores it usually. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, we could also do that, but pediatricians tend to start there. And I think it is actually, it's hard for pediatricians to diagnose this in the same way that it's hard for us to diagnose it. And so I think some pediatricians are going to be like, yeah, absolutely. Depending on the age of the kid, And some pediatricians will say, for sure, I'm happy to diagnose this, or I feel really confident in this diagnosis. And other pediatricians might need to look for more information. And then that's when you can look for an evaluation with a psychologist or neuropsychologist. And that's kind of a much larger process. But talking to your pediatrician, just kind of a curiosity is going to be a great place to start. If you're so let's say you have a middle school or high school kid who is also talking about not getting tests finished in the class time or things like that. The nice thing about having a full evaluation done is that the school system can accept that evaluation and help with just small accommodations, which might be 15 minutes extra on a test or being able to take the test in a quieter space. The colleges and universities are great about accommodating. And oftentimes, I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but but I know that I've had students that were high school students that probably should have been evaluated in high school, but didn't get evaluated in high school because they worked hard and they had good grades, but then they get to college and it shows up as being more of an issue. Um, And so we do still, they still have to go through the evaluative processing, even as a college kid, but then the colleges are great. They all deem just like the high schools and middle schools, they do a great job with accommodation. So start with your pediatrician. I think start with your teachers in the schools. Schools cannot diagnose, y'all. They cannot diagnose. So so don't expect them to be able to diagnose, but they might be able to give you some, some feedback on, does my child turn their homework in? Do they get distracted? Are they chatty in school? Do they seem like they're paying attention? All of those really nice details that will be important for you to bring back to the pediatrician. Yeah, absolutely. I would not, I would not necessarily recommend to anybody to wait till they're 40 to get evaluated. Like I did. I don't know, Amanda, what do you think? I, you know, I think it just makes, I, college was really hard for me. College was, if I hadn't, to be honest with you, academically college was hard. I was, uh, I went to UVA and it was too big of a pond for me. And so I ended up working in a residential treatment center, like a camp for kids that were having a really hard time. And it was very people oriented. And that's where someone paid attention to me and say, hey, you can do better things or like you can do big things with like your strengths. But if it would have just been the academic piece, I never would have become a psychologist. Really? There was was nothing about me academically. Y'all, I got like a C plus in Psych 101. Well, that class is brutal. It's so hard. So dry. I taught it. It's awful. And it's so much just like multiple choice. It really didn't like... It, it was not for me. And so I had to get in another smaller setting where it was very people oriented to kind of be able to realize my strengths. And I'm, and I feel very fortunate. Chris Riger, this is a shout out for you. So I appreciate it. I think, no, I think that's a really good point. I think that's sometimes what it takes. And I think it takes also some time. Like I just, like, I, I think you kind of know sometimes once you get older, you kind of know there's a thing like you you can kind of look around and see like your friends doing something really with a lot of ease. Like even Caroline, I watch do things with a lot of ease. Sometimes I'm like, yep, she does not have an attention problem. Like I really need to. Um, but I think what you said too, Amanda, like for us, for you and I, part of what's also a be- about being a therapist is every hour is different. 
and we can both hyper-focus really well for an hour, hour and a half. So we're both really good in that, in that time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so this career is actually really great for people like us. And again, like, even if you have your kid evaluated, it doesn't mean you have to do anything yet. You just can start to, to look at some of the parenting things you might need to do differently, or it might be that you set up the structure around school and homework slightly differently. Um, homework can be a huge battle with attention deficit kids. So, I mean, I think, you know, it, again, it doesn't necessarily, one thing doesn't dictate the other. It really is what, again, like what we always say, what it is absolutely what is best for your kid and every kid is different. But as therapists, I think we do see a lot of this and we help kind of facilitate the evaluative process or just helping kids cope with what it feels like to not be able to focus for more than five seconds at a time. Mm-hmm. Okay, y'all, we hope this is useful. We're going to have a pediatrician and my husband, Dr. Robert Johnston, the child psychiatrist, <laughs> come on to talk to us more about it if I can convince him to, which I think, guys, I have two weeks, so I think I can do it. But let us know if you all have questions and feel free to reach out to us at Virginia Family Therapy or you can get Sarah at the Lewis Practice. And anything else you guys want to say? No. And Caroline, thanks for keeping us focused. I think I took us on all the tangents today, so I don't know about that. And now that we've said this, I'm like, I have to upload this this podcast to our producer who sound edits it, and that's going to be the hardest thing that I've done today <laughs> for me. <laughs> really. Thanks so much, guys, for listening. We hope you have a great week. Thank you. Bye. Bye.